Hello and welcome to Pause Pop, positively pop culture, where we talk about things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm K.W. Taylor. And I'm guest host Tom Coleman. And we've got a special episode today with Tom filling in for Carrie Gessner, who will be back next week. And so today we're talking about two things, the comic book series Far Sector and the Paramount Plus TV series Evil. So welcome. It's been a minute since we've had you on. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Sure. Um, So you've been reading this comic book uh, Far Sector, and I know literally nothing about it. So tell me all about it. Okay. Well, it's uh, put out by DC Comics uh, through their imprint Young Animal which was uh, created in part by Gerard Way, the um, rock and roll person <laughs> band I can't think of right now. I can't either, <laughs> but he did the Umbrella Academy, right? Yes, he did the Umbrella Academy. Yes. Yeah, and so he, he, he was working with DC Comics on creating an imprint to do some different sorts of titles, kind of appealing to younger people. Uh, the new Young Justice series came out of that, and I think Naomi did also. That's now a CW show you guys talked about not too long ago. Yeah. But Far Sector is a science fiction series written by N.K. Jameson with art by Jamal Campbell, mm-hmm. who also did art on Naomi. And N.K. Jameson is famous for the her books, The Fifth Season and The City We Became. And this is – it takes the premise of the, the classic DC hero of Green Lantern and – Changes it up a bit where we're seeing a brand new Green Lantern named Sojourner Mullen, who goes by Joe. She's a recent recruit to the Lanterns, and she's a human from Earth, which is important to the story. <laughs> uh, she was uh, a, a soldier who was briefly an NYPD police officer. Uh, she's a black woman. I think she identifies as queer, so she's got a lot going on in her personal life, and she's kind of, uh, that attracts attention of one of the aliens that control the Green Lanterns and say, hey, we have something that I think you're right for. So she takes that opportunity, she's kind of disillusioned with her life as a cop, and is sent to a city in space, the City Eternal, which is a giant city of billions of aliens. Sorry, the city enduring is it? Is what oh. it's called? It's a giant city floating in space. It's a space station. Massive advanced technology is uh, founded by these three species that coexist. They live in the same sector, but that part of space was invaded by another group of aliens who conquered them, and they eventually fought them off, but completely destroyed their worlds. So they built this giant city to survive in. And the three species are the Na, who look very human, but they have tails and little wings that they can fly around in the low gravity of the city with. The At-At, which is written out as the A symbol like At and then A-T. Oh. And they are, <laughs> they're an artificial intelligence species. They're, they have physical bodies, but also digital personas and one of uh, Joe's assistant is an at-at, and she, Joe will pay her in Earth memes. What? Because that, that they find that value valuable. It's it's very cool to them to see like <laughs> like cat memes from Earth. Cute. <laughs> and then the uh, the third species is the Katopi, 
which are carnivorous plants. Oh. Carnivorous plant people. Kind of like the guy on Harley Quinn. <laughs> kind of, they're humanoid. Yes, oh, okay. but yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, they. I think there's a derogatory term for the biological creatures as meat salads. Oh, gross. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, these three species built this city and run it, and they've run it for millennia as this very peaceful place. It's and it's peaceful because everyone in the city is subjected to a process where their emotions are suppressed. Mm. So that was kind of their response to keeping the peace after coming out of this uh, horrific war. So Joe comes into this situation as this brand new Green Lantern with an experimental power ring that doesn't have the same limitations as the classic Green Lantern powers where they have to recharge every so often. With a power battery, she doesn't need one. Her ring recharges itself, which is a new twist on the that classic Green Lantern story. Cool. But she's also not a big fan of flying. Oh. So she doesn't fly around on her own a lot. She takes a lot of like flying car taxis to places. <laughs> People keep asking her, I thought you guys could fly. And I was like, yeah, I just don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> That's so interesting because I feel like yes. if you are given some kind of superhero – powers and one of them is flight most people kind of really dig that part of it Mm -hmm. but i guess it also it's sort of hard on your body and i know i would get totally ill and dizzy and not enjoy that either yeah and uh yeah so the the crux of the story is that not long after she gets there the there is the first murder in the city in like 500 years and Violent crime is extremely rare because nobody really has emotions mm-hmm. that they act out on. But yeah, so that is the crux of the story. It's it's this murder mystery, which of course uh, spreads into a deeper conspiracy with the political wranglings of the uh, council that rules the city and all the different species that make it up. And so Joe has to navigate that and the actual criminals that are causing the problems. And of course, there's a, just because all the people have their emotions suppressed, that doesn't mean that there's, there's like a a drug that will cause them to unlock their emotions. So there's that problem. And then there are, so more murders start happening and it uh, turns into a whole big problem. So she has to solve this crime in this, in this, tense environment and there's a lot of social issues where people start protesting the fact that uh, they want these emotion controls taken off and the authorities in the city want to keep them to keep control so uh, some of those protests turn dangerous and there's the whole issue of the local police and their crackdown on the protesters what that looks like, and Joe brings her own experiences into that. So there's a lot of the classic sort of science fiction outsider looking into this alien city and then seeing the same problems that she experienced as a cop on Earth and as a soldier. But it's a very it's a very neat take, and, and the character of Joe is, is very good and a, a neat twist on the classic Green Lantern. 
and the aliens are cool and uh, there's a lot of action it being a comic book and it's only it's a limited series i think it's only 12 issues or so oh okay i don't know if the character's been brought back in anything else but i would expect her, her to be eventually just because this was very good i enjoyed it cool yeah it's a limited series also so you know, you can just pick up the one graphic novel and read it and be done with it. It's not an ongoing series that you need to know 50 years of backstory on. Nice. Yeah. yeah. That that makes it sound really appealing. Yeah. All the aliens and situations in it and settings, I think, were all created just for this. Oh, So cool. it's not, yeah, it's not something where you have to know about an issue of Green Lantern that came out 25 years ago. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Although it's not like it's not like Green Lantern as a thing is that complicated. I mean, no, it's it's really not. Yeah, yeah. They're they're space cops with rings that give them superpowers. So that's, yeah. that's basically that's it. Pretty much it. Yeah. Cool. That sounds super fun. I think I might read that. Yeah. Yeah, it's very good. Cool. And the art style is really sharp. It has that little soft cartoony quality, but it's not too much in that direction okay like how do you mean how would you define that it does it not look like a normal sort of classic comic book style art or what is qualitatively different it does every uh it's just sort of an animation it's not really it's not animation it's a <laughs> drawing style it's an art style uh-huh. that yeah, they just sort of look like, but it's very similar to stuff you would see on like kind of the the DC cartoons that come out. Oh, okay. Yeah. So like a little bit more, that is hard to describe. Yeah. Like cleaner lines, a little bit smoother almost. A little bit, but also a lot of very rich colors. Okay. Hypersaturated. Yes, and unique uh panel setups, so it's not a oh. standard uh, you know, like in like the classic comics, like Watchmen is famous for its its panel setup, where it's just this mm-hmm. consistent rows of smaller panels, and this has a mm-hmm. lot of big open spaces and kind of things bleeding into the other, into like the gutters of the page and mm. asymmetrical panels and big splash pages and odd angles for things. So it's very, it looks very different. Cool. That sounds really cool. It's very colorful and sharp. I feel like they do stuff like that in Saga a little bit. Yes. It's very similar to what you see in Saga. Okay. Yeah. And that has that same kind of more television animation style. Yeah. And I don't know a whole lot about the uh, artist Jamal Campbell, but he does art and color on this. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. So they're very intertwined. Nice. That sounds beautiful and interesting, and I like the finite nature of it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I might give that a read when I'm done with my current book in progress. Thank you. Sure. My Chemical Romance was Gerard Way's band. So, there oh, you yes. go. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, My Chemical Romance is a little bit like emo, post-goth, which uh-huh. may be the only elegant way we can segue into <laughs> What I've been watching lately, which is kind of horror-tinged, and that's the TV show Evil. Yes, you've been very into Evil. I've been very into Evil. I watched two seasons of this in about two weeks. So <laughs> maybe maybe three weeks, but it's been very, very fast. Like every moment that I have like a free 45 minutes, I've been watching an episode of Evil. 
This was the first season was on CBS and it moved to Paramount Plus for its second season. It does have a third season that starts in uh, mid June, um, also on Paramount Plus. So I'm hoping that it continues beyond that. But I sort of wish that I hadn't started it without you because you will like it. And I am excited to rewatch the whole thing with you if you want to. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, this show has a lot in common with The X Files and Fringe in that it's a little kind of found family of investigators who are solving sort of not really crimes, but but problematic situations that have to do with the supernatural. And the weird thing about this, it was it was created by Robert and Michelle King, who are married, and they also created and ran The Good Wife and The Good Fight, which are very similar to each other and are legal procedural dramas that have a little bit of a comedic kind of snarky, funny, weird edge to them. And I thought, well, that's weird if they would go in a totally different direction. And yet, the tone is really similar here, even though the subject matter is completely different. So this is as if you took fringe and kind of layered it with a little bit more influence of a snarky legal comedy drama, basically. So the premise is that Our main character is Dr. Kristen Bouchard, who is played by Katya Herbers, and she's a forensic psychologist who's been working at like, this is set in New York, and so she's been working with one of the borough's like DA's office to do expert testimony when somebody's been charged with murder and like assessing their sanity level and stuff. Um, She gets kind of frustrated with this, and she gets hired by David Acosta, who is played by Mike Coulter, who is best known. He's had some minor roles on The Good Wife and The Good Fight, but he's best known as playing Luke Cage in the Netflix version of that Marvel property. So David is studying to be a Catholic priest, and he's a former investigative journalist. So in the process of becoming a priest, he's been hired by the Catholic Church to be an assessor, which is an investigator who looks at cases that might be demonic possession or in need of an exorcism or um, some kind of religious slash supernatural mystery. He helps to determine if it really is legitimate or if there's some other cause. And so he works with, he always has a forensic psychologist on his staff so that that person can assess it from a psychological perspective and be kind of you know, a, not to say devil's advocate, but like looking for a natural mental reason for something to be happening. And then the third person on their team is Ben Shakir, who is played by Asif Manvi, and he's probably my favorite character. He's a technical expert, and he also is there as a skeptic to see if there's some technological or environmental cause for the problem. So he might look to see if if somebody's acting like they're possessed by a demon, he's going to go in and look at, well, is there lead in their water in their house? Is there toxic mold? Is the Alexa device in their home hacked and is seeming like it's sending, you know, voices through the air or whatever? And Kristen is going to look to see, well, okay, do they have some kind of schizophrenia? Do they have some kind of mental disorder? And then David is kind of there to kind of see, okay, if, if those two tests don't resolve it, then it may be a legitimate uh, religious or spiritual crisis. And there's several other characters, but the main antagonist is this guy, Dr. Leland Townsend, who's played by Michael Emerson, best known from Lost and Person of Interest, who always plays a very 
like an interesting, morally ambiguous character <laughs> is sort of his bread and butter. He is so creepy. But he's another psychologist, and he's also done work with the DA's office and basically been acting as a professional rival to Kristen. But the whole team starts to think that he, either he's deliberately nefarious, trying to sabotage them, trying to con them, or that there is something wrong with him that he's either demonically possessed or has some other kind of supernatural issue with him, which gets to be a little bit troubling because he starts dating Kristen's mom, Cheryl, played by Christine <laughs> Lottie. And that is super awkward. And Kristen trying to tell her mom he's evil. He's Even if he's not like spiritually evil, he is up to no good. He's using you to just like annoy me. And Cheryl's like, oh, no, no, he's great. He's wonderful. And it's like really upsetting. And Kristen has her own psychiatrist that she works with for her own mental health, Dr. Kurt Boggs, played by Kurt Fuller, who's one of those, hey, it's that guy, uh, veteran character actors. And he's really good, too. Yeah, and just some recurring characters as well. But every episode, they kind of have this case they work on, which could be anything from um, someone thinking that they're possessed and need an exorcism to someone thinking they've got an evil doll in their house or someone seeing angels or someone with like weird preternaturally strong abilities that are sort of transitory or um, it's kind of just a variety of things. And the cases of the week are not what's most memorable. It's kind of the fact that through this process, the three main characters start to themselves get a little bit haunted. In season one, Kristen is seeing a demon in her room at night. In season two, Ben is starting to see a demon in his room at night. David keeps seeing either things he interprets as God or things he interprets as angels, but angels are really scary. And throughout, they also never explain or come down on the side of something being truly supernatural or being explainable by natural means. And so even as the viewer, you're not sure if people are dreaming when they see these other creatures. You're not sure if they are just kind of getting really stressed out because this work is extremely difficult and stressful, or if it's some kind of combination thereof, or if there really are demons. In season two, there's a nun who shows up um, Sister Andrea, played by Andrea Martin, and she works in the church that David works in and lives at. And uh, she seems to truly believe there are real demons and you guys are doing good work, but you have some skepticism that is kind of interfering with your ability to see what's evil. Um, so she starts to try to get a little bit more honest and clear with David that he needs to fight these things, not as if they're people who are crazy or environmental problems, but that evil really exists. So I really like the ambiguity. I think that's really cool. Each of the people kind of starts to go down bad emotional paths, especially Kristen. In addition to her having this new job and having it be stressful, she's she's kind of in a bad place with her marriage. Her husband, Andy, is away a lot. He is a mountain climbing guide, which keeps him away from home for months at a time. And just as he's like, I need to just be home all the time she starts really acting out and getting very weird and troubled. And they have four daughters who are really cute, but very loud. And for some reason, they latch on to Ben and think Ben is super cool. So they call him Ben the Magnificent. 
<laughs> he sometimes will babysit them and it's just kind of a cute relationship. But the daughters like sort of get sucked into some of these dangerous things and you kind of wonder if they're getting psychically attacked um, at certain points. So I don't want to give too much more away, but there's some really good appearances by veteran character actors left and right, such as, let's see, Karen Pittman from Hamilton plays a lawyer for the Catholic Church. The late Peter Scolari is in season two as a semi-regular as a bishop, and it's kind of sad to see him because this was his last role. I mentioned Andrea Martin. Uh, Brian Stokes Mitchell, um, who's from tons of things and especially the theater, he plays an exorcist priest in season two who has a lot of personal problems. And then Tim Matheson plays this character named Edward in season two, who has a very weird relationship with Kristen's mom, Cheryl. It's so creepy and upsetting, and I still don't understand what's going on there. So yeah, it's season one feels very much more X-Files-y. Season two gets a lot more, like it's truly a horror series, and it has a lot more in common with things like The Exorcist and um, other kind of supernatural horror things. But there's still that humor, there's still that light tone, and there's still that really cool quality of a found family, which I just love when people have unusual jobs in a TV show and they have to work together and they become best friends. It's like one of my favorite things. <laughs> so if you like things yeah. that have that fun little team mentality about it, it's it's really got that. But Asif Manvi is truly a revelation in this. He is really funny, really fun, and it's it's a great role for him. Yeah, I'm not used to seeing him in like even anything beyond like the Daily Show. Yeah. Like, I remember when he showed up on Jericho. Oh. And as like a a doctor and I was like, "What is this?" Yeah. Yeah, he's always one of those people that surprise you on how like great he is and whatever he, whatever he turns up in. Yeah, he's great. And the only thing I'd ever seen Katya Herbers in was a very small role in The Americans, which we both saw. And she was very sort of forgettable in that. She's Dutch, uh, but she does a very good American accent. And Mike Coulter is kind of just Mike Coulter. He was more fun in his role that he did in both The Good Wife and The Good Fight, where he was this kind of nefarious former crime boss, and he got to be a little funnier. But he's not, he's here back in Luke Cage mode. He's very okay. taciturn and skeptical and very, you know, the the tall, dark, and quiet, you know, archetype. He is supposed to be our kind of heroic person. He's very sacrificial, but that does make him feel a little bit more inscrutable. He's harder to relate to. Kristen and Ben are a lot more, I think, the audience insert characters, whereas David is, you know, the hero that you can't quite get what his motivation is. Um, and you feel like he's had a lot of tragedy in his life that he doesn't want to talk about. So, but, you know, you need that character. He's kind of the angel character. You know, mm -hmm. in Buffy and Angel, Angel was always very like that quiet strength or whatever, which kind of makes him boring. But you also need that person. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. So it's really, really fun. I want to rewatch it all again. And uh, yeah, the new season is going to premiere on Paramount Plus on June 12th. Okay. No, uh, the tone change between the seasons, Did which did you like better? Did you like the – did you like the – because it sounds like this first season was more of like a almost procedural yeah process and then season 2 they loosened it up did that work yeah 
It's, I like them both. I will say it was sometimes grosser in season two. And I didn't always <laughs> love that because I just, I like horror, but I don't like it to get too gruesome. And there were a few more things in season two that I had to be like, oh, that's just like icky, you know, <laughs> for the sake of being icky and shocking. Uh-huh. But I think it got richer and deeper into the mythology of the show. There are some overarching you know, the thing about having the monster of the week, but then you've got these overarching season and series long mysteries that you're also building toward. It gets a lot more serious in season two. Christine Lottie's character is also interesting because you think of her as kind of a buttoned up, you know, veteran character actress who kind of plays these strong women. And she's a lot goofier in this show and a lot weirder. And she's allowed to like kind of go off in weird directions. And they do a lot more with her in season two getting really weird. <laughs> and I liked that. So that was fun. So I think and what I notice in the online chatter about it is that some people didn't really like that tone shift. But I think it's in the purpose of moving toward the larger mysteries and kind of building that mythology. So yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I will look forward to watching it. Yes, I think you'll really like it. It's it's really fun. But next week, Carrie will be back, and she's going to have a special guest host next week. Uh, but then in two weeks, we'll be back together for a regular episode. So stick around for that. The show's theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find me on Twitter at KWTaylorWriter. Me on Twitter at TWICK516. And you can find the show on Twitter at Pause Pop Podcast. Email the show at PositivelyPopCulture at gmail.com. You can also find the show's website at PositivelyPopCulture.com, and from there you can find the link to our merch store. And please rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, stay healthy and safe, and join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop. Pause Pop.